Bienvenidos. This is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr. Rojo Robles. And I am Dr. Rebecca Elsalois. And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implication of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond. Welcome to Latinx Visions. In this episode, we bring you an interview we recorded with Black Latinas No Collective scholar and member Dr. Omari Zamora a few weeks ago via Zoom. We will provide a bit of a background on the collective and Omaris before we get into the interview itself. Then you'll hear our previously recorded interview with Omaris where we ask about her research and publications, her experiences with the collective, and how the organization came to be. Finally, we'll wrap up with a few additional Afro-Latinx-centric groups and organizations that you might reach out to if you were looking for other ways in which to be involved in community activism that supports the Afro-Latinx communities throughout the country and the Americas. All right, so a little bit about the Black Latinas No Collective. And Dr. Zamora will get into it more herself when we get to her interview, but just this overview. From their website, they say, we are a collective of Black Latina scholars, producers of innovative knowledge, contributors to the study of Latinidad and Blackness. And in their Black Latinas No Collective statement, they share that they are a collective of Black Latina scholars. I know that sounds obvious, but I want to put emphasis on that word collective. They are producers of innovative and important intellectual contributions to intersectional studies of race within Latinidad and Blackness. There is an emphasis on the fact that Black womanhood and scholarship intersect with one another in such a way that offers a particular view of race research disciplines on society, and this is closely tied to the experiences of the Black Latina women of the collective. Their statement is clear that scholarly dialogues about racial inequality have to make space for the thoughts and knowledge of Black Latina women, and that perspective that do not do this are by definition incomplete. Absolutely. They demand to be heard, to be cited, to be recognized, and to be attributed ownership over their own ideas and their own scholarship. To do this, they created this collaborative, collective community that centers Black Latina knowledge production. They write scholarly pieces along with popular pieces that make visible who Black Latina women are, what they think, and what they know. The end of their statement wraps it up nicely, and I think we should just read that directly here. We do all in service of something greater than ourselves. We aim to dismantle systems that oppress marginalized people at the intersections of multiple categories of social difference, including race, ethnicity, gender, class, sexuality, ability, citizenship, and language. We assert that our work is a crucial element of a manifold approach to social justice, one that includes activism and grassroots organizing, the arts, electoral politics, public policy, and others. We believe in liberation and we teach, conduct research, and disseminate our knowledge in order to engender a more just society. It's a great conclusion to their statement. About Dr. Omari Zamora, in her own words, Omari Z. Zamora 
is a transnational Black Dominican studies scholar and spoken word poet. Her research interests include theorizing Afro-Latinidad in the context of race, gender, sexuality through Afro-diasporic approaches. Her current book project tentatively titled Siguapa Unbound, Afro-Latina Feminist Epistemologies of Transformation examines the transnational Black Dominican narratives put forth in the work of Fidelay Baez, Elizabeth Acevedo, Nelly Rosario, Ana Lara, Loida Maritza Perez, Josefina Baez, Cardi B, y La Bella Chanel. Zamora pays close attention to how they embody their Blackness, produce knowledge, and shift the geographies of Black feminism in ways that recognize the legacies of Chicana slash Latina and Black American feminist theory in the United States, but tends to the specific experiences of Afro-Latina women and their multiple genealogies. The manuscript proposes transformation as a continuous process that engages with the spiritual aspect of self-making and centers the body as an archive that creates and transmits an Afro-Latina feminist epistemological theory. Her work has been published in Post 45, Latinx Talk, Label Me Latina, Slash Latino, The Black Scholar, among others, and has been featured in NPR's Alt Latino podcast. She fuses her poetry with her scholarly work as a way of contributing to a Black poetic approach to literature and cultural studies. So with that brief overview of the Black Latinas No Collective and Dr. Omari Zamora, we want to move on now to our interview with Dr. Zamora, where you'll hear much more about her work within and beyond the collective. Omaris, thank you for being here with us. Uh, in this interview, we wanted to think about your experiences through and with the Black Latinas No Collective. Uh, we created a set of questions inspired by some of the major points of the Black and Latinas No Collective statement. As we have these questions, we will quote the statement to contextualize the inquiries and perhaps as an invitation also to comment on the statement little by little as we talk. The first um, point from the from the statement that we want to bring is we know that all scholarships comes from particular personal experiences. Our scholarship is informed by our intimate experiences with Black Latina womanhood. And of quote. And now thinking about that statement, the in, about the intimate experiences of Black Latinas, uh, can you tell us about how your experiences as a diasporic uh, Dominicana? and Black Latina, of course, inform your current research and poetic work? Yeah, of course. First, um, thank you both for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here and be in conversation with you about the work and um, really, you know, thinking about those that framework that the Black Latinas Know Collective Statement really kind of hones in on and centralizes right, the experiences of Black Latina women, right? And in particular, one of the things that, right, that you read in the statement that I think is so central is that we know, right? So it establishes a phenomenology, right? And an ontology, mm -hmm. right? Of thinking about what forms the Black Latina self, right? And understanding that our experiences and our narratives can be very central to our scholarship, right? So we are definitely recognizing that scholarship is not as much as folks wanna think um, objective, Right. There's mm -hmm. always a sense of subjectivity in the scholarship that we all do. And there's always a sense of also recognizing positionality. Right. And the situational knowledges that are part of the work that we do. Right. So for me, as a black Latina, as a Dominicana de la diaspora. Right. It's very 
my experience as a Black Latina has always been very central to my scholarship, right? Because there was oftentimes growing up, right, as a young scholar, as a young person, right, where I didn't read things that really captured my experience, right, as a Black Latina living in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. And so my work has centered on saying, well, if we can think about Latina or Chicana feminisms, right? And we've read those works by Gloria Anzaldúa, right? By Cheri Moraga mm -hmm. that have been very impactful, right? Um, and we've read works by the Kambahi River Collective, right? Other Black feminist works that are also very impactful, right? And in many ways, shapes and forms, right? As Black Latinas, we can identify parts of our experiences in both of those canons, right? But very often there's something very particular right, to pay attention to the intersectionality of Blackness, of Black Latinidad in particular, of Black Latina womanhood in particular, right, of our sexualities, our positionalities, our geographies, right, that aren't necessarily captured by either of those canons at the time, right, at the moment, mm -hmm. right, and so part of my experience and part of my scholarly, right, expertise and experience is like, well, how do we theorize the experiences of Black Latinas living in the United States? What is one way for us to think about this, right? And I kind of sought out for that to be the scholarship that I wanted to pursue, right? And to ask, not just ask the questions, but also sit with and maybe try to provide an answer, right? At least one answer, right? And mm -hmm. so that's what I try to do in my scholarship. And also, right, my poetic praxis is really rooted in a tradition of, New Yorican poetry of the Black Arts mm -hmm. Movement, right? And writing mm -hmm. about what I know, right? Mm -hmm. And slam poetry, spoken word, and even hip hop is about you write and you produce work and music that is about what you know, right? About mm -hmm. from your experience, right? And so my poetry is, is, is that too, right? And it gives me that kind of creative space that mm -hmm. scholarship doesn't always allow for or it's too stifled sometimes, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that you're so right about, you know, the literature that exists being either or and not both and and to be able to contribute to that bothness, that everythingness uh, is really important. So we want to move on to an, another part of the statement where it says we center Black Latina voices as a crucial source of knowledge to understand how race works within Latinidad. So in your current book project, right, you engage with uh, the work of author performer Josefina Baez and fiction writer and spoken word poet Elizabeth Acevedo. Can, can you share a little bit about your framework to explore and analyze these Latina voices? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're both writers and performers that also write about what they know, right? And mm -hmm. I think one of the major things is highlighting that Black Latina women are knowledge creators too, right? Regardless of their educational background, regardless of where they come from, right? And I think that's something that often gets obscured. And what Josefina Baez's work reminds us of is that her performance text work is highlighting, for example, Black Dominicans in urban spaces, right? In that very diaspora space of folks who are going, you know, to New York City, coming back to the Dominican Republic and right, continuously moving, right? And she writes particularly in the vernacular of Black working class urban Black Dominicans, 
right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's something so precious there, right? And Elizabeth Acevedo also captures, right, what it's like to grow up as a Dominican diasporic person, right? And to center the kind of gems of knowledge that people share with one another in those spaces that there's other folks that don't really have space, don't have access to those spaces, right? And those are the kind of communities that I come from, right? Mm -hmm. And so to have writers and creators and performers who are amplifying our voices and also saying there is knowledge production happening in the hood too, mm -hmm. right? In these barrios, <laughs> in these hoods, there is knowledge production happening. It doesn't only happen in the academy. It doesn't only happen in the ivory tower, right? And so these writers remind us, right? And empower our communities to say, we're knowledge creators too. Just because we don't have a PhD or we didn't go to college, right? That doesn't mean that knowledge creation isn't happening. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to center this idea of Black Latinas know, right, that mm -hmm. we are a collective of scholars, right, in particular, right, but it's two-sided. It's not just to say, right, that Black Latina scholars know, right, because they're knowledge producers, they're academics, and they're scholars, but it's also to understand that within the world of scholarship and academia, very often Black Latinas are marginalized. Right, as people who are downplayed, as people who are, as many Black women across diasporas know in the academy, mm -hmm. that Black women are always thought of as incompetent, even if they have a PhD. Right, mm -hmm. and so for us to say Black Latinas know, right, yeah. is to remind folks that we are knowledge producers to PhD or not, mm -hmm. right, and that our communities are knowledge producers as well. And so I think it's really important to center to center that, right? Not just in the works that Josefina and Elizabeth Acevedo are showing us, but kind of what does that mean across these different platforms? So as a bit of a follow-up to that, can you maybe expand on your notion of poetics of the body in relation to these two uh, Dominican authors? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so one of the things that I find very important, right, when it comes to knowledge production especially thinking from right, a Black Latina perspective is the importance of the body, right? And so how our bodies take up space, how they're read, how folks react to us when we walk into a space as visibly Black women, right? Black Latina mm -hmm. women in particular, right? Is important, right? So when I'm talking about poetics of the body in particular, I'm talking about, right? What is not just the representation of that body, but how does that body take up space? Right. And what mm -hmm. happens? What experiences do you have because of how your body looks and takes up space? How do people react to you? How does the environment change? How does the vibe change? How does white supremacy, anti-blackness show up? How does patriarchy show up the moment you walk into a space? How does homophobia, transphobia show up the moment you walk into a space? Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things that's important to Josefina Baez's work, as well as Elizabeth Acevedo's work, right, that meant often, right, and, and I talked about this in one of my articles when I was writing about the poet X in particular, was that I felt as a reader and as someone who was in constant conversation with other readers, right, who were reading the poet X, that folks would love this work right, for how poetic it was, how it sounded, the performance of Acevedo reading the work, right, or even thinking about Josefina Baez's, you know, monologues and her, like, you know, one-woman shows that she does, right, but very, like, not as much people don't actually talk about the embodiment, right, of these Black Latina Dominican women, right, doing this performance, right, um, and it's almost as if folks want to 
view a performance or read a text and ignore that either the main characters of these monologues, of these performances, of these narratives in the poet X are about a Black Latina woman or a Black Latina young girl, right? And to ignore race. Whereas mm -hmm. I was like, no, if you're ignoring race, you're ignoring entirely their bodies and how their bodies take up space. And the mm -hmm. fact that race is happening, even if it's not central to the narrative at that moment, right? The fact that folks are, you know, in Josefina Baez's text, there's a moment where um, in Leventeno, Yola York, Dominican York, mm -hmm. where she writes about this character going to, where was she going to, to? She was in Dominican Republic and she wanted to pretend that she was not black. But very quickly, she went to a nightclub in Dominican Republic and they didn't let her in because she wasn't, she wasn't white. She was black, mm -hmm. right? And so as much as you want to escape your blackness, it's always going to be there, right? How your body is interpreted, how you take up space, right, is going to be central. If you read the poet X, you cannot read this and pretend that you're just reading any Latina story, right, of coming of age in an urban setting. Like you're reading about a black Latina coming of age and that has a lot of weight. Right. So I think it necessitates and it reminds people that when we're reading texts and works or viewing right works by black Latina artists, writers, right, performers to have an intersectional approach and an intersectional analysis that views blackness, that views black Latinidad, right, that views right and thinks about race, gender, right, migration. Um, all of those things at once, right? And it, it it really puts a task on the reader to be a responsible reader and viewer, right? And, and person who's going to engage in the work, right? In the case of uh, Elizabeth Acevedo, also we see that the uh, poetry is important and the urban experiences are important, but also like uh, a lot of it is also about her body, and how she describes her body, how she thinks about the body, how she performs and think about performance with the body. Yeah, so definitely like that is central to 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 that uh, novel and it's central to what she's presenting, right? And and to the to all her experiences throughout the novel. Uh so that is uh, uh really fantastic. The next point that we wanna uh to bring from the statement uh says uh we write scholar scholarly and popular pieces that make visible who we are, what we think, and what we know. Yeah, and I wanted to like link this statement with uh, your most recent uh, publication. You just published an article on rapper, television host, and uh, celebrity Cardi B within the conceptual frame of post-soul theory. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, what is your central analysis on Cardi B and how this critical intervention on popular culture is located within your larger project? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's, that the, the reason why I came to write about Cardi B, which I was years ago, I mean, back like in 2015, 2014, when I started writing about Cardi B, um, and, and she her work has always spoken to me because it reminds me of how I grew up, right? In an urban, you know, as some folks would say, ghetto setting, mm -hmm. right? Very much Caribbean space, right? Um, and so it always reminded me that there are folks still, right, like Cardi B and, and that come from places like Cardi B and myself that are knowledge creators, that they know, right? They know what they're doing. And so I think it's important to recognize knowledge producers like Cardi B, who one, 
folks, you know, everybody has different opinions of, of, of what she is and what she's doing and all these things, right? But the focus of the analysis of, of that particular essay is to say, if we really think about what Cardi B is doing and we can understand, if I can help readers understand what she's doing, they might also understand how Afro-Latinas are moving around in the world, creating not just creating knowledge, but talking back to black, not just black respectability politics, but also Latinx respectability politics, mm -hmm. right? And that many Afro-Latinas like Cardi B are moving in the world in the space of refusal, right? That if you, not, if you cannot see me, it is not my problem. It is not my task and my responsibility to translate myself for you, right? Or to make myself um, more palatable for you, right? Mm -hmm. And so part of the work in that essay is one, to be in conversation with the postal aesthetic, right? And thinking about, okay, we're thinking about hip hop and the postal aesthetic, right? What does an artist like Cardi B do, right? To that conversation of the postal aesthetic and thinking about, post-civil rights movements, right? In the era of the post-civil rights, right? Many folks will argue that we are still living in the postal because we're still living in the era of the post-civil rights movement, right? And mm -hmm. so when we're talking about Cardi B as a rapper, as a hip hop artist, right? Who is living in the post-soul, right? If the post-soul aesthetic is originally thought of in a more black American um, framework and that is focused also primarily um, Black American men like Marie Baraka, right, and folks of a particular aesthetic, first of all, it, it's really rigid and doesn't make space for thinking about other artists and other folks who were part of the post-soul or, or are part of the post-soul who are really mm -hmm. pushing back against the limited frames of Black Americanness and really thinking about Black mm -hmm. diasporas in the United States, especially we're thinking about the creation of hip-hop Right. And thinking about how black Latinos were there, too. Right. Mm -hmm. we're thinking about, for example, Jean Masco, Michael Basquiat. And we're thinking about Audre Lorde. Right. A lot of folks will erase her Caribbean-ness real quick. Right. And it's like mm -hmm. she's a black Caribbean woman. Right. Yeah. And folks will be like, oh, she's African-American. I'm like, no, she's not African-American necessarily. Mm -hmm. she's, a black, she's a black Caribbean woman. Right. And so what does it do to think, to push us to think diasporically, right, to think black diaspora? Right. And for Cardi B to be that that Afro Latina who is not going to sit there and explain to you why she looks the way she looks, why she talks the way she talks. Right. What an Afro Latina is or think about representation. Right. She goes. I argue that she goes. She pushes pushes the conversation beyond. And if we miss out on what's happening, we're not going to understand. We're going to miss the point entirely. Right. Because I think the conversation of Afro Latinos or Black Latinos and thinking about representation or thinking about what are Black Latinos or what are Afro Latinos, mm -hmm. right? This kind of introductory thing as if like people don't know who we are. Right. She's past that. She's like, I'm not here to fit, you know, this African American narrative of Blackness that's very limiting or fit this Latinidad narrative that's very limiting or even be an Afro Latina who is um, palatable and respectable, right? And that I translate myself for people. You know, there's a video where she's singing along that I describe in the essay where she's singing in Spanish. It is one of the first videos that people figured out, oh, wait, she's she's also, I know she says she was, 
Caribbean, but she's also the she speaks Spanish. And she's the, like all these question marks. Like people were like, "Wait, what?" Mm-hmm. I know she's black, <laughs> Bronx. Like I don't, yeah. you know. And <laughs> it threw them for a frenzy. And at the end of the video, she says, "If you don't understand this, get somebody to translate it for you." Yeah, I'm not doing that work for you, right? Yeah. I'm not going to. In in the sense of refusal, right? That mm-hmm. she's not going to translate herself. It's so often that we black Latinos, Latinas, Latinx folks walk into a space, right, that may not be predominantly black or maybe, right, and folks either ask us to, you know, explain why is it that we speak Spanish? And they're like, wait, I thought you were just black. Why are you speaking Spanish? You must not be black. And it's like, no, that, 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 that I am black. There's a mm-hmm. black diaspora, like, you know, and you have to remind <laughs> folks. Or the inverse, where you walk into a space that may be predominantly non-Black Latinx, and the first thing you enter the space and people don't know what to do with you. They're talking to everybody else in Spanish. They come to you and they start speaking to you in English and you're like, why are you speaking to me in English? Mm-hmm. I don't understand. <laughs> like, you know, things like that. Or they'll ask you, oh, who'd you come with? Mm-hmm. Right? Different gestures and codes that suggest you don't belong here or I need you to translate and explain to me why you do belong here, right? Mm -hmm. That are very everyday gestures, right? Mm -hmm. That Cardi B reminds us, we don't need to translate ourselves and we don't need to explain ourselves. We could just be. And Mm -hmm. the world could deal with that, can figure it out. (laughs) I love that. It's like Cardi B and Black Latinas No Collective have this in common, right? This idea of (laughs) like breaking this rigidity of the expectations of the academic world and this whole like, you know, well, Black Latinas No Collective is a part of like bringing these voices together. It's not their job to explain. They're just choosing ways in which to engage in the community where Cardi B says, no, you go translate it. for <laughs> Go translate it for yourself or find someone to do this for you. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility. You know, breaking the expectations. So the, the next part of the statement we wanted to talk about says, we resist being silenced, overlooked in the knowledge production of our very own experience and knowledge base. Scholarship on Latinas, Latinos, Latinxes, and race is increasingly highlighting the role that race plays in producing unequal conditions. Is that great part of the statement? Um, so, how was your experience with the Miriam Jimenez Roman Fellowship uh, at the Latinx Project at NYU? Like. Can you connect that part of the the phrase to uh, that experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I wanted to highlight that, you know, that particular part of the statement, I mean, as really as the entire statement is, you know, it's part of the reason that we got together as a collective, right? We realized that many of us were having these conversations, you know, at conferences and like get togethers, right? Over social media, right? That many of us were having these conversations and sharing experiences that we have had and also saying, how do we, you know, create a space and create a voice that says that one, we're here, two, our work is here, this is the work that we do. And three, that you're not going to silence us, right? Um, that our work won't be silenced, that we won't be silenced, right? And that there is power, right? And we know that there's always more power in the collective than there is in the individual, right? And so part of the fellowship, right? Medium Humanist Roman Fellowship at NYU 
right? And Miriam Jimenez Roman, may she rest in peace as, as one of our collective founders, right, of the collective, um, is someone who exudes that particular energy of not being silenced, of not being afraid to speak up, and of not being afraid to do the work that is necessary, right? And as someone who always empowered me to understand that one, these things mattered, that the work I did mattered, that the work that we did as a collective mattered, not just to us, but to future generations, and that we were and are doing this work, not just for us, but we're doing it for the future, right? We're doing it because we believe in, in creating and being part of transforming, right, a different space in a different world. And so the, the fellowship, right, it, having her name, right, kind of has that responsibility, right, that we as scholars who, who are awarded this fellowship, right, who, who apply and are awarded this fellowship, that our work will exude not being silenced, right? And I think it reminds us that although often institutional spaces want to punish Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color for saying that these injustices and inequalities exist, especially when we are talking about it as folks who experience those inequalities mm -hmm. and we're doing the research that is about that inequality, right? Academia will be real quick to shut us down, right? Mm -hmm. Or to not even shut us down, but the shutting down happens institutionally, systemically by a disinvestment that happens mm -hmm. by not getting the grant or not getting the fellowship or not getting the course release, right? Or not getting the interview call, right? It's just a complete erasure and marginalization that happens in ways that seem acceptable. And no one ever says anything about it, right? Until mm -hmm. folks are having these conversations with each other, identifying that there's a pattern happening and saying, wait a minute, there's something going on here. We need to gather, be a collective and support each other and say, how do we move in academia in ways that can revolutionize, change, and really create and say, and say, it's okay to speak up. People should speak up, right? And create change, right? And so this fellowship named after Miriam Jimenez Roman is that task, right? How do we recognize scholars who are doing that work, right? Who live those experiences and are doing that work, right? And so having that fellowship meant a lot for me, right? At that moment, right? And it was, I was the first, you know, Miriam Jimenez Roman fellow. And that was, I mean, I applied not, I mean, folks know academia is full of rejections. You apply to stuff just believing you're going to get rejected. You're not going to get mm -hmm. this thing, but you apply anyway, right? So I applied with that attitude. Like, I'm going to apply. Mm -hmm. They'd be great if I got this thing, but I'm not mm -hmm. going to hold my breath, right? Because we've already been norm like normalized to like mm -hmm. that, that rejection is the norm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't the case in this case. And I was, of course, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it, it was more of, for me, being a, a fellow um, was more of a, an affirmation that the work that I'm doing matters, but also a, a, a um, como se dice, like, not a tarea, but like a, a task, I guess, mm -hmm. that it's like, I need to make sure that I, I, I um, meet the task and the, and the chat, that I'm up for the challenge continuously to remember that 
I need to speak truth to power, right? And that yeah. through my work, through the research that I do, but also in the spaces that I come in, because I know that's what Miriam would have wanted. And that's how she moved. Yeah. She was a mover, a shaker, and she would tell you exactly what you needed to hear, even if you didn't want to hear it. Right. And so um, it's that fiery spirit that I think is very necessary for change. Yeah. For for readers that uh, don't necessarily uh, know about a medium Jimenez work, can you tell us a little bit about like this foundational like uh, uh, project? Yeah. The Afro Latino Forum, but also like the 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 uh, magnificent uh, uh, volume, the Afro Latino Reader as well with uh, Juan Flores. Right, maybe you can uh, share a little bit of how those uh, projects and, and the book has impacted you. Yeah, definitely. Um, for listeners, readers who may not know, Medium Jimenez Roman um, was one of the co-editors of the very widely read at this point, um, mm -hmm. Afro-Latino Reader, which is an anthology of um, Afro-Latino studies, right? Afro-Latino scholars, writers, right? That came out I want to say 2008 or 2010, but it was a while ago at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it was one of the first, I remember I was in college when one of my best friend's mom sent it to me um, because she actually had been neighbors of, of Juan when he lived mm -hmm. back in California. And they were like, you know, they thought like, oh, you know, uh, my my daughter's friend, she's Afro-Latina, she could probably use this book. That would be great for her, you know? Mm -hmm. And it, changed, mm -hmm. it, it gave me the vocabulary that I didn't know existed, right? Like Afro-Latino, Afro-Latina, Latinx, that wasn't necessarily a term that was very popular or like widely used in the early mm -hmm. 2000s or even like 2008, 2010. Um, and so when I received that book as a gift, it gave me the vocabulary to understand. I was like, oh yeah, this is my experience. Oh, there's a word? There's a word for this identity? I didn't even know, look at that, right? And so that's when I started to self-identify as Afro-Latina because I was like, oh, this, this is the identity that I've been experiencing, but I didn't know there was a word for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was really impactful to know that I wasn't crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Because the world has a way of gaslighting you and telling you that you're crazy and that it's all in your head. Right. That's not racism. That's not what was happening. Um, <laughs> right. That's not sexism. That's not what was happening there. Right. And you're like, okay. yeah, but was it? <laughs> right. And so that book, I think it was it was impactful. You know, it was impactful in my work and my life. And one of the major things, right, of how that book is framed, especially in the introduction, I always give the introduction to my students at the very least, um, is thinking about the fact of Afro-Latinidad, right? And, the, and it's a conversation in that piece between, right, thinking about Fanon's The Fact of Blackness, right, and thinking about W.E.B. Du Bois' Double Consciousness and, and Juan Flores and Miriam Jimenez Roman write about triple consciousness, right, in the intro. And one of the biggest things for me is, that the fact of Afro-Latinidad is also the fact of Blackness, right? And that's one of the things that is super important to the work, right? Because we live in a moment, right? And maybe this may be unpopular with folks, but in the spirit of Miriam Jimenez Oman, we live in a moment, I must say, we live in a moment where there are folks who are non-Black Latinos claiming to be Afro-Latinos or to be Black, right? But the reality is that their particular experience might not necessarily 
as folks who walk into spaces and no one sees them as Black, or they may not necessarily have particular experience that are very central to, to visibly Black people, right? And so the fact that Blackness is central, right? Being visibly Black people of how your body, right? This is why the body is important, right? Mm-hmm. How you walk into a space, how people react, how people behave, right? The experiences that you have because of your Blackness is central. The fact that Blackness, the fact is, is of Afro-Latinidad is central to understanding, theorizing, being in conversation with, being in solidarity with, being allies with, right? Black Latinos or Afro-Latinos, right? And I think that's that's huge, right? Because what happens is that when there are folks who may be identifying as Black or as Afro-Latino who are not necessarily Black, it erases the experiences of, of, of actual Black Latinos, right? It really mm-hmm. diminishes Right, and reinscribes this idea of the of the mixed race, right? Of this mestizaje mm-hmm. idea. Because if we're all mixed, that means that we're all black. And if we're all black, that means actual black people don't exist. So we don't have to pay attention to what their experiences are. Mm-hmm. Right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm always like, let's be intentional about how we identify, particularly around the work that we do, because it may harm. It may do more harm than good. So the last part of the statement that we want to address, and we've got a bunch of questions that fall under this this particular umbrella, is the, the moment where it says, there is a history of Black Latina thought to acknowledge that includes our own epistemologies. We have our own thought. And so we wanted to kind of transition the conversation a little bit to the collective and um, you know its origins and that sort of thing to inform people of what it does and and who's involved. So you know how did the collective organize and and how did you get involved in the Black Latinas No Collective? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. Um, well, I am one of the, f- the first few members of the collective. I'm not a co-founder of the collective um, necessarily, even though it was something that we did collectively, right? Um, Saida Dinsi Flores and Miriam Jimenez Roman and Melissa Valle and some other folks, you know, we had all been in conversation, but definitely, you know, Saida and Miriam were spearheading, right? The, the idea of like, what do we do, right? And it was an ongoing conversation over the last, over, over years before it got formed, right? Of like, these ongoing conversations between many of us scholars, right, with each other about the things that were happening, right? And this, and not just the experiences that we have as scholars in academia, but the experiences that we have as Black Latinas in the world, right? Like moving through space, right? And so through ongoing conversations, right? Um, eventually, Saida and Miriam were like, oh, maybe we should do a collective. Maybe, you know, and, and it was kind of like an email thread of like, hey, you know, what do you think about this? What, what would folks think? You know, it was very much collective, right? From the start of folks chiming in, having conversations, and then some, some particular folks spearheading, right? The organizing and websites and this and that, you know, and it, it was... Uh, it's been a beautiful experience, right, to be part of a collective that, one, is in conversation with each other, two, that we trust each other. I think trust is so important, right, when you're doing collective work. Um, and three, also knowing that, like, this doesn't have to be super time-consuming, 
mm-hmm. right? And understanding that everything else we do is super time consuming between work and families and work-life balance and taking care of ourselves, that that is a priority, taking care of ourselves and for this not to be an extra labor, right? Mm-hmm. But that it would be something that we could do because it's important because we want to put work into it, right? But also that we trust each other and also knowing that we're all different, right? We all come from different disciplines, you know, different spaces, right? Different geographies, right? And knowing that we all have something to contribute to the conversation that may not already be highlighted by somebody else, right? And I think that's so important that we could collaborate, that we can jump on projects together, that we can be in conversation and that it can feel in many ways, right? A space of kinship that is supportive of one another and really there, you know, I think that is, um, the collective has been a blessing in my life, right? Like it really has in the sense of grounding, always having like a rooted and groundedness and always remembering, right? And having folks to remind you like what really matters, right? And what really matters goes beyond the walls of academia, right? Mm -hmm. What really matters right, is about how do we want to transform the world? How do we want to move differently in this space, right? How do we want to move between, right, academia, but also, right, public-facing work that is, that has, that can access different, that different people can have access to it, right? So we've done Mm -hmm. different projects between, you know, speaking engagements and things like that, that are more like, you know, formal and, and, I guess more typical in academia and things that we do, but we've also mm-hmm. done things that are like with other folks, right? Like we did the, um, with Pero Like, we did a, a video series, right? On questions that Afro-Latinos get, right? We did a part one and a part two. Um, and that was a lot of fun to do and to collaborate on um, and to, for it to be out in the world in a way that is so accessible. Right, especially because we live in a social media heavy world where videos, you know, and content kind of gets spread so quickly, especially if it's like visual or video or things like that. So it's been a pleasure. It's been, I mean, fantastic. I love hearing all the all of the different things that you have have come up with in ways of of tackling this sharing of knowledge and and just the, you know. It is called the Black Latinas No Collective, but the way you keep using the word collective, it it really drives it home how how much of a collaboration it, it really is. So that's fantastic. Yeah, one thing that I will highlight from also like uh, from browsing the the website is this uh, this like uh, moment of of sharing text, right, and and acknowledging and highlighting uh, the the work of each other. Right. Can you uh, share with us a little bit on that process of, of sharing scholarship, sharing writing and how that takes place? Yeah, I mean, it takes place in the like the easiest way. You know, folks are everybody's plugged in to, you know, each other's social media. Right. We have, you know, a Twitter account. We're on Instagram. Right. And so. We're all connected, you know, via social media. So like somebody, you know, we always say, hey, if you have a new piece or you have something out, make sure to tag Black Latinas No Collective Account so that we can always be mm-hmm. and share, right? And it's, I mean, we really try to facilitate this in the easiest way possible that takes little work because we mm-hmm. all know we already do enough work, 
right? Yeah. There's a lot of unpaid labor we already do. So it's, yeah. always, it's always a sense of like, one, you know, we have folks that follow our social media and things like that. And we always want to share each other's work and amplify each other's work. So we always make it a point to like, you know, send it to the Black Latinas Know social media accounts, to our email accounts, right? A quick share. And, you know, um, some of the folks who run our, our social media accounts will make sure to reshare, right? And, and make a post, right? In ways that that don't take a lot of time. And I think it's wonderful. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not here. I, I may be on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. Like I mm-hmm. have an account and I tweet like maybe once a month, if that. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a Twitter person. It overwhelms me so much. Because I think it's because sometimes I go on Twitter and it reminds me how toxic academia is. And I'm just like, Ugh, like I have an aversion towards it. I'm like, I'm only here because I feel like I have to be, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I read like three tweets and I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can't do this. <laughs> so I'll go on there to amplify other people's work or to share something that I have going on, right. Or retweet something from black Latinas, no collective, but I'm like, <laughs> like you know, it's one of those things, but, um, but it is, right? Like one of the things that we have is our blog, right? Mm-hmm. And the blog, m- most of us, if not all of us at this point, have written a blog for our Black Latinas No website. And we always make sure that that's shared and all that kind of thing. And so I think it's wonderful to have us have a blog space that mm-hmm. one is the collective, two, you know, academia is not going to necessarily evaluate that in the most way like that matters because for, for what matters for research, a lot of times it's not blogs. But we know that blogs and these other kind of informal ways of sharing our thought, right? And sharing our scholarship and sharing, you know, and and pushing out a conversation that these are the ways that are actually most impactful. Mm -hmm. These are the ways that are actually proliferate. Podcasts. (laughs) Podcasts, right? And so... We know that, that that even though academia still is shifting about what they evaluate, what they think, mm-hmm. you know, matters or is valuable, like we know that works that are podcasts, that are YouTube videos, that are blogs, right? Things that are in short form have a lot more of an impact and have a broader reach than mm-hmm. a peer-reviewed essay that only five people are going to read and it's behind a paywall. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Word. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, Maris, uh, one, uh, perhaps this is going to be like as a way to wrap up. Yeah. Uh, who can get involved uh, with the collective and how do people engage uh, with you? And uh, uh, where, yeah, where uh, can you give us like some like uh, clues of where to look for, for uh, your work as a collective, but also your own work as well? Omari's not on Twitter, but <laughs> but the collective, yes. Yeah, of course. Um, or anything you want to share, like how to like reach out to the collective, reach out to you, like continue the conversation, etc. Also, we're thinking about like uh, how this can inspire students to like create or or, or to found uh, uh, their own organizations with the same intentions. Yeah, so so like uh, it's always good to have a, a a blueprint and also to have a model to to uh, to, to follow, but also to to engage with and in a generative way. So maybe you can tell us a little bit on that. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with with the last questions. I think it's really great um, for folks, right, to organize, right? Like, I think there's so much power still 
right? And collectivity and community building and organizing, right? I myself come from a community organizing background when I was in high school, organizing in Humble Park in Chicago, right? And that still holds power, even though we're in a, we're in a, you know, we're in a moment in the world where everything is so virtual and online, like having mm-hmm. folks gather is so powerful, even if it's happening virtually, right? And we know that. I think one of the major things, right, for the collective ourselves in terms of gathering, right, is really having conversations with people. Like you'll be able to pick up on patterns that are that people are experiencing, something that you want to organize around to address, right? And I think the biggest thing, the biggest lead is really thinking about how do you want to dream, right? It's about dreaming. Like, mm-hmm. how do you want to dream? How do you want to reimagine this world? What are what do you, what do you and your community need? to be successful or to survive or to have what you need, right? Because those are the things that create change, right? And really organizing folks around the things they have in common in terms of the change they want to see, right? And and how to make that happen. We don't have to wait until something happens to then create change, right? You can create change through collective organizing, right? And Mm -hmm. envisioning, right? And saying, we want to move in this different way in the world. Right. It was a breath of fresh air when I would meet people like Saire, Lindsay Flores, like, you know, Yomaira Figueroa, who's a great mentor mm-hmm. of mine, Jessica Marie Johnson, right? Other folks in the collective, of course, Miriam, may she rest in peace, you know, that were a breath of fresh air for me to understand that there were other Black Latinas in academia who said they wanted to envision and move in this world in a different way that was mm-hmm. about, that was more humanistic that was radical, that was loving, that is caring, right? In ways that academia is not, right? We all know that academia and many industries could be very cutthroat, right? Could be very competitive. I mean, we live in a capitalistic neoliberal society, right? That has gotten into so many spaces that used to be once radical and now have been like these neoliberal capitalist places where everybody's competing against each other and trying to cut every ch- each other off, right? And it's so toxic and violent, right? And as people, as Black people, as indigenous indigenous people, like people of color, are also buying into it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it's a reminder to say there are other folks there in the midst of of the toxic water that we're all swimming mm-hmm. in, right? That <laughs> do want to envision a different world and that do move differently, right? In this space, so it's a matter of finding each other, of creating a collective vision and a collective ecosystem, right? And organizing around that and moving in that spirit, right? In the spaces that we're in and in collaborative ways, in supportive ways, in ways where you really show up for each other, right? That I think is, that's where the change happens, right? And I think that's what the collective is and folks who may be interested Mm -hmm. in, who may feel like they are the only one Mm -hmm. in the space that they're in, there are other people out there like you who think very similarly, right? And it's a matter mm-hmm. of having one-on-one conversations, right? And being vulnerable. There's a lot of vulnerability, right? And there's power in vulnerability um, mm-hmm. for collective organizing. That I think, one, that's what influenced, I think, I would say from my point of view, the, the formation of the Black Latinas No Collective, but it's also the continuation, right, of those relationships that we have in the collective, right, that I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, folks who led the initiative, Right. And mm-hmm. who we continue to be in conversation with one another. Right. Even if geographically we're like all over the country, mm-hmm. 
you know, mm-hmm. you know, so it's 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 powerful in that way. So folks who may want to know more about the work that we do as a collective, mm-hmm. right? Our website is a great place to go, right? BlackLatinasNoCollective.org. Um, and our blog is there, right? Um, there are many blogs that we have where, you know, we're going to be working on, you know, gathering again to get reactivated because <laughs> all of us are really busy, right? Of course, our social media, right? But also, you know, check out the blog and look who's in the collective and reach out to them individually, right? Look at their mm-hmm. work, engage with their works, right? We have so many different kinds of scholars from different disciplines, from sociology to political science, to social work, to education, to history, right? Literature, like so many different disciplines, so many, and we even have folks who may not necessarily be like traditional scholars as well, who are on there too. Um, so I think it's really important if you, one, want to engage with our work, two, are looking for, let's say, you know, there was one time I, I, somebody asked me about talking about Afro-Latinidad to a group of students in the health sciences. And I was like, cool, I'll talk about Afro-Latinidad, sure. But I do need, I wanted to add a few things, right, that would be relevant to them, right? And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I looked to Be- Beverly Araujo's work who works in public health, right? And talks about Afro-Latinos in public health, right? And I, you know, referenced a lot of her work so that they would find something relevant, even though, right, my my role was to talk broadly about Afro-Latinidad, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. we're citing each other, we're, we're in conversation with each other, right? So folks can check out their work individually, right? And figure out who okay. the collective members are through our website, right? And reaching out to them, um, reaching out to the collective as a whole, Right. Um, and really, that's the best way to find us, to to engage with us. Um, and yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's fantastic. And just before we go, we just want to make sure, is there anything else that you would like to share with us that we haven't asked you about? Um, anything else to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, these days I'm, I'm thinking a lot about how do we in, how do we move differently in these spaces, right? How do we transform academia? But also, you know, I'm always one of the things that moves me, and that has always moved me in my scholarship. And the reason why I do what I do is because at the end of the day, we have to think about how what is our responsibility to our community, right? And I come from a working class background. My parents are both black Dominican immigrants. I come from a big city, grew up in a big city, right? Um, And my responsibility to me is like, it's always thinking about, okay, the opinion that matters to me most and, and the folks that I hope to reach the most are other urban working class Black Latinos, right? Black Latinas, Black Mm -hmm. Latinx folks, right? I'm always thinking about my Dominican diaspora communities, especially in urban Mm -hmm. spaces like Chicago and New York City, right? And I do this work for them, right? Because that's where I come from. That's my background. But also, if my community one day turns, it's like, oh, Omari Samora, like, eh, I don't know. Like, I don't, she she don't, you know. I'm going to be concerned, right? Because if the work I'm doing isn't resonating with my community, what am I Mm -hmm. doing, right? And for me, that's like my main audience and that's my drive, right? And the reason why I do the work that I do is to put my community on the map, right? And to get folks to understand that the Dominican diaspora is out here, 
you know, doing the thing, right? And really mm -hmm. forging knowledge and culture and work, right? Um, that folks might miss out on, right? And I'm like, don't snooze on us. We out here, we've been here, right? Mm -hmm. And so if my community, right, Dominican diaspora community is like, eh, you know, like that's the opinion that matters to me the most, right? Like yeah. I've always said it, it's, and I've had to remind myself, you know, over years, right? Who am I doing this work for? Why does it matter? And that's the thing that keeps me grounded even when things get difficult, right? That I have to keep going because my community is counting on me to do this work. Dr. Omaris Zamora, muchas, muchas gracias. Thank you, thank you very much for being in conversation with us. It has been a, a pleasure. Uh, and yeah, it has been a fantastic conversation. And we're really happy to have you in our, uh, in our platform and amplify uh, your work and the work of the Black Latinos, uh, no collective. So, Rebecca, what do you think of our interview with Dr. Omari Zamora? What really stood out to me the most was the emphasis on the ownership over Black Latina scholarship, right? That Black Latina voices must be the voices that lead the conversations on Black Latinas. And this knowledge production is and, and has been happening already. Black Latina women are knowledge creators. While knowledge production does take place within academia, it is equally important to acknowledge that it also takes place outside of academia. And that particular knowledge production is equally important. What about you, Rojo? What do you think? In addition to everything you mentioned, I think one of the things that impacted me the most was to think about the poetics of the Afro-Latina body. Omaris and the collective are engaging with the tenets of Chicana feminists like Sherry Moraga and Gloria Saldua, which we have uh, talked about in this podcast, mm -hmm. and their proposal of theory of the flesh. However, they are also challenging the notion of mestizaje celebrated by these poets and theoreticians by highlighting how the mestizaje ideology most times erases blackness and the distinct circumstances of black womanhood. Omaris and the Black Latina No Collective are presenting how Afro-Latinas are developing thinking, creative, artistic, and writing practices that emerge from their lived experiences and from acts of making and taking spaces that historically has been denied to them. So we want to wrap up the episode with a few recommendations, uh, just other organizations, other groups that you might get involved in if you are interested. So today I'm going to recommend organizations that I'm affiliated with. Uh, the first one, the Afro-Latina Forum, and add its use as in the emails that we that we use, but it's a, a, a letter that implies inclusivity, right? So it could be Afro-Latina, Afro-Latino, or Afro-Latinx uh, Forum. This organization was mentioned, uh, by the way, during the interview. Yeah, so I want to talk about it. Yeah, this organization was founded by scholars of Puerto Rican and Afro-Latinx studies, Miriam Jimenez Roman and Juan Flores. And it is an organization that raises awareness of uh, Latinos, Latinas, Latinas of African descent in the United States. The organization advances the visibility of Black Latinos, Latinas, and Latinas yeah, through dialogue and action and promotes an understanding of the Afro-Latinx experience. Yeah, The emphasis is guided by a transnational perspective that recognizes the centrality of race in today's global reality and the struggle for social justice. 
the organization is composed and seeks to engage with scholars, uh, with artists, activists, people in the media, students, and Afro-Latinx uh, communities. Yeah, A recent event was dedicated precisely to the discussion of ideologies of mestizaje and blackness. And right now there is an event in the making about Afro-Latinx in the media and their strategies of empowerment beyond representation. Mm. My second recommendation is the Baruch College-based Black Studies Colloquium, or BSC. Yeah, And like the Black Latinas No Collective, this organization provides a space for interdisciplinary discussion and the development of scholarship for all faculty and students, very important, and students interested in Black Studies across uh, Baruch College, but also beyond Baruch College and CUNY. Yeah, our event series provide a forum for faculty and students to engage with exciting scholars, activists, and public intellectuals. This semester, uh, for instance, we started with a public-facing knowledge project entitled Black Futures, Black Studies, Black Ecologies, and African Diaspora. And through it, we explore inquiries like in what ways do studies in Black ecologies in the United States and across the African diaspora unfold and communicate with one another, what are the connections between ecological forms of oppression and social political legacies of colonialism within the black diaspora? Uh, or what kind of black futures might we imagine through cultivating conversation and producing scholarship across sites in North America, the Caribbean, South America, and Africa? Yeah, this year we have been really invested in discussing historical and current practices of marronage or quilombismo, si marronaje in Espanol in Latin America and the Caribbean. And uh, we recently talked with uh, Puerto Rican philosopher Pedro Lebron Ortiz and discussed how a uh, philosophia del cimarronaje, as he calls it, uh, can offer a theoretical ground to understand and engage with current ecological and social justice projects in Puerto Rico. That's fantastic. And I love that those are organizations that you are directly involved in, so you can give a lot more insight to them. The organizations that I'm going to recommend are projects that we're not directly related with them or directly involved with them in any way, but uh, I've seen things about them and the great work that they've been doing for their communities. So the first one I'm going to go to the other side of the country with, uh, just to switch things up for our listeners over there, is the Latinx Racial Equity Project. And this is a Bay Area, California organization that exists to train and empower Latinos to lead from a framework of decolonization and racial equity. So using this framework, the organization actually trains leaders to build more equitable organizations and systems with the goal of reducing inequitable outcomes for everyone. If you want to learn more about what they do and how you can get involved or donate, you can check out more on their website, latinxracialequityproject.org. And there you'll see that they offer numerous workshops and webinars that align with their mission. So um, they do, as as it shows here, they do a lot of uh, virtual events as well. So people can get involved even if you're not in the Bay Area. The second organization that I'm going to mention today is Afro Resistance, and this is a New York-based Black Latinx women-led organization whose mission is to educate and organize for human rights, democracy, and racial justice throughout the Americas. Through advocacy, international solidarity, and capacity building, this organization has worked to ensure that Black women and girls across the Americas are leading movements for liberation and equality. And you can contact them on their website, afroresistance.org. 
You can also reach out about getting involved or donate to the Black Latina Girls and Women's Fund on their website. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us again for this season, our second season of Latinx Visions. And just as we did at the end of last semester, we're going to be bringing you a couple of student episodes to wrap things up. But then we'll be back again next fall with a brand new season. In the meantime, you can always reach out to us on social media or by email. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Latinx Visions. Our email address is latinxvisions at gmail.com. Just as we have done in previous episodes, we'd love to include your thoughts in our upcoming episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts, so you can be the first to know when our new season is dropping. Be sure to share us with your friends and family, and subscribe and leave us a five-star review if you have a moment, because it really helps with the algorithms and helps listeners find us. So estamos a la escucha and have a wonderful uh, summer. Que pasen un gran verano. Dale, until next semester. <laughs> <laughs>